So did you see that our revolution is rebranding as a pragmatic progressive group? What the fuck is a pragmatic progressive? Well, they say they're going to drop support for Medicare for all because it's not happening. And instead, they're going to back... Biden's plan. Oh, here we go. Yeah, from the AP article, quote, rather than insisting on Medicare for all, Sanders' trademark universal government-funded healthcare plan or the climate change fighting Green New Deal, our revolution is focusing on the more modest alternatives endorsed by President Biden. <laughs> Demand, the pos- <laughs> Demand the possible. <laughs> God G- damn it. Gen- gently suggest the possible i mean really this yeah, does yeah. G- the- gently intimate the possible <laughs> i mean <laughs> underneath the paving stones yet more paving stones <laughs> Welcome to the Death Panel. To get access to our second weekly episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. We do two episodes a week. This is the public one that's free, and our Monday episodes are exclusive to our patron supporters. So um, there's also an entire back catalog of over 100 episodes. Relive the last few years of... (laughs) Exactly. And if you want to help us out a little bit more, share the show with your friends, post about your favorite episodes, and uh, of course, follow us on social media at deathpanel underscore. So uh, today, in the back half, we're going to talk about the rising calls to start instituting policies to mandate vaccination as the newest way to dig ourselves out of the very predictable hole that we find ourselves in right now. But first, we'll check in on the latest updates to the CDC's recommendations for indoor mask usage, because I think a lot of the problems that we've been talking about for months, and especially a lot in recent weeks, have started coming to a head. And uh, with the CDC trying to put a lid back on Pandora's box, publicly insisting that they can actually, in fact, put toothpaste back into the tube. Um, You know, cases are clearly rising. There's more data becoming available about asymptomatic transmission and vaccine efficacy and immune compromised people and transplant patients. There's a massive debate about in-person versus remote teaching in the fall. The job market is freaking people out. You know, there is understandably a lot of exhaustion and confusion right now. And I think none of us honestly wanted to be here at this point where we're very clearly in a fifth wave of cases. But the truth is that we are. So let's cut through the bullshit and make a little bit of coherent meaning out of what's been going on. B, you buried the lead. 6.5% 6.5% GDP growth. What are you talking about? It's <laughs> <laughs> all this bad news you're feeding me. Um, no, but it's, but I think the, uh, it's, it's staggering and, and I've sort of become somewhat desensitized to this, but the, the really like crucial thing to think about is just the acceleration rate of cases, mm-hmm. which right now is incredibly high. It is very clear that we're looking at this like fifth wave. Um, it's an acceleration rate that's, that's sort of, on par with, I think, what we've seen in earlier stages of the pandemic. So this, the, like, the really sort of fascinating thing is, like, what the CDC continues to say is that it all it's doing when it makes decisions is, like, you feed in new data. It's like a little, 
it's like a little robot I would make when I was a kid with like a <laughs> uh, little cardboard box and you like feed in the data and like out the other end comes like the new uh, decision. But I think that that's like it's it's obvious like any adult that like that's not <laughs> how the CDC uh, works. Uh, but the and that like this this sort of lingering idea that everything's sort of coming to resolution like remains a kind of uh, gestalt for you know if if not like the decision making in, in high public public office like certainly culturally but uh, let's let's like what what is actually going on here what is the CDC doing um, like this week right so about two months ago the CDC just to recap announced that it was all clear for vaccinated people to stop masking indoors and in in public places. A lot of things reopened. And now on Tuesday, uh, federal public health officials have rolled that guidance back. Uh, The CDC has reversed its earlier recommendations, saying now, you know, if you're if you're living, this is funny, if you're living in a county with high spread as if the virus record like, you know, respected the borders of municipalities. <laughs> right, yeah. If you're in, we know a, that it does. Right. You know, if you're in a county with high spread, then the CDC is saying now, eh, we fucked up and it's time to put masks the on. The CDC again. is just going around handing out copies of like Borges sh- short stories. And it's like, <laughs> so if you think about it like this, our, our guidance really makes a lot of sense, right? Are they twins or are they the same person? <laughs> so, but like, and when is we're talking the map about the counties- territory? <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about like counties with high spread. It is most counties, right? Like the, the, right. Uh, the yeah. su- super majority of counties yeah. uh, have have something that, that could be called high spread. Um, and the like, it's I think all of this is like confusing to a lot of people. And I feel like there are three. There's there's like two main narratives that are are going around. Right. One main narrative is the CDC is just following its you know, following the science and doing the best it can with, with, with what it has. And like, that's the argument that, that says that back in May, uh, if we, if we follow that argument out to its logical, like trajectory back in May, uh, the CDC using the best available data said that vaccinated people, uh, weren't really a risk and they didn't need to mask. But if you go back and actually look at what they were doing in May. And I, and I shouldn't need to say this, but I do think it's it, the memory is short, right? Uh, pu- public memory on these things is quite short. There was no data to suggest that vaccinated people could not transmit the virus. Okay. Right. Uh, the, the best available data they had was something from the UK, uh, which the data quality was rated poor, uh, like it was like the poorest data, something that you would never make a decision on the basis of. But the PR line that came out uh, from the CDC uh, was that it, you know, we are certain uh, vaccinated, not not like, uh, oh, we haven't heard about Delta yet. We don't know what's going on with variants. <laughs> it was like, we are certain that yeah. vaccinated people can't transmit the disease. And so we're, we're going to do this. Right. So obviously, like, the case, the idea that like the CDC is just following the science can't be right. Uh, that like that cannot be true. Um, so then, like the other narrative is the CDC is incompetent, right? That Walensky is like a rookie 
uh, administrator. She doesn't know what she's doing, that she made mistakes, uh, that like the rollout of the last one, like the Biden administration didn't even know about. Like it, it happened. Bef- they learned the, the administration, the White House learned about it after the CDC had like made the decision and it wasn't coordinated. But that, too, is seems a little wrong in the sense that like the only problem that the Biden administration seemed to have with that earlier decision was that they didn't know about it before it happened. They, they said right decision wrongly decided like or like wrong, wrong methodology or like, you know, we wish we would have known. Right. Or I think wrong, it was like wrong rollout and wrong communication of it. Yeah. yeah. A lot of there's yeah. a lot of in, including actually like there are a lot of people who now say, especially since like there was that moment, I think we've, you know, we talked about like a week or so ago that like they, they sort of unveiled the and now we're going to move to it is simply a pandemic of the unvaccinated line. Um, and it's interesting because I think in our initial reaction to that, it was like, okay, it's good. Like, it seems like this is being met with a considerable public scorn, but literally in the last few days, it seems like it has just turned into like the main strategic vessel of social reproduction, basically, where like it is a pandemic of the unvaccinated is becoming the line, despite all of the things that you just said, for instance, Phil, about like, you know, obviously there are like, it's very clear that people who are vaccinated now, like there is, you know, evidence all over the place. First of all, that like people uh, who are vaccinated are transmitting uh, the disease anyway. And also that like, Clearly, cases are going up despite everyone's best efforts uh, around the country, basically to like not to report as little as possible of uh, Mm -hmm. cases. Right. right? And I think interestingly, now you see this readily apparent actually in, you know, this line, for instance, like basically the, the merger of this. Oh, it's just a pandemic of the unvaccinated and the oh, it was like the right policy, but it was like poorly rolled out, poorly communicated, et cetera. Like those two things have really come together in mm-hmm. a very I mean, they were they were always kind of like part uh, part and parcel of the same thing, but they've come together in this like it has become the sort of like common sense uh, narrative uh, of social reproduction. Let me just, for example, play this thing from uh, this is this is going to you're going to hear um, Liana Wen, uh, who is a public health person at George Washington University. And this is her speaking on CNN. Mostly the right policy, terrible communication. I'm confused, and I think many people are very confused about what exactly happened and why. Mm. Here's what I think the Biden administration should have said. They should have said, the issue is not with the vaccinated. The issue is with the unvaccinated. The reason why we're having to go back to mask mandates indoors is that the unvaccinated didn't abide by the honor system. The honor code didn't work. And so the reason we're doing this now is we want to protect the unvaccinated from spreading to one another. That's why if there's no proof of vaccination, if there are vaccinated and unvaccinated people mixing in indoor spaces, that's why we need mask requirements. In addition... (laughs) Anyway. Wow. Yeah, so I mean, is her point... Just that, like, by talking about the persistence of this, it's it's making people lose confidence in the vac- vaccine. Like, is that is that what she's saying? I mean, it's it's. I mean, otherwise, it's just you know, this is just a bizarre mincing of words here. I th- I think that the well, so you know, as I think as we've talked about, it's like as part of this shifting of the blame right to now, it is like the if you if you're if you're sick if you're dying uh from covid it's like basically your fault mm-hmm. is the idea right that now that it's the now that it's firmly the sick person's fault um 
part of this, I think the honor system, this like honor system idea, whatever the fuck that means, um, that, that she's uh, putting forward is the suggestion that basically, you know, well, like the, the messaging might've been, might've been bad, but really still at the end of the day, like Biden got up there and he's, he and all of the, uh, you know, he on all these like public health people said, uh, it, it is what, what was the line? It's vaxxed or masked. Right. It's like yeah. you have to, you know, you have to get the vaccine or you have to continue to wear your mask. And then now the CDC rolling back uh, or barely rolling back, um, sort of like fainting towards when masks should be used in specific situations by people, including by people who are vaccinated, that now basically despite all the confusion and you know this person you know identifying for example like i'm confused like i think a lot of people are you know one of the reasons we're talking about this in the first place like i think the way that like this person and a number of others are trying to explain this overall is your confusion can be satisfied by the idea that well actually all these horrible sick people the unvaccinated did not follow the rules did not quote unquote follow the honor system right right so so and but i i think there's a you know so we talked about the you know, we have the CDC's perspective, which is, you know, it's just following the science, um, which I think is sort of evidently from what happened in May, not true. We have the sort of lukewarm critics, which is saying like the CDC has bungled the communication, but ultimately the policy has been right. And then, oops, maybe at some point the policy was wrong. But I just think that this is like there's a built in bias that like the way that the CDC is treating public health now is the way that the CDC has treated public health at some level during the Trump administration and in prior years as well, which is they treat it as a kind of cost benefit uh, trade off. Yeah. And there is an abandonment of the precautionary principle um, and a sense that we have to do uh, what is necessary to uh, protect human lives and public health, but within a set of parameters, right? Uh, within a set of parameters, uh, such as pushing uh, the economy back towards its productive activity. And we see sort of what happened as a result of that in the latest GDP uh, results. We see a surging back of consumer spending and increase in business investment. A like a true this is like the first quarter where it's like, OK, this is the return to normal. And you can't I don't think that you can prize apart CDC's role in changing its guidelines in in May on social distancing and uh, mask wearing from the ex sort of economic results. It's it's pretty clear. I mean, it's pretty clear pretty immediately what the effects of that uh, were. And so now CDC is trying to deal with some of the effects of what it uh, wrought. I mean, it's not just like an economic management agency. It is a public health agency at some level. Uh, but now it's created a situation or helped to create a situation which is even more untenable uh, than the one that it started with. Right. Uh, and so I, I guess the question is like, what, you know, how, how do you make sense of what kind of pressure to you know exert on the CDC or like, is there a is there a way of imagining how, how, how people would get out of this trap? Because otherwise, I mean, I don't necessarily see any any sort of alternative to what uh, the, the sort of the, the policy outcomes that they're going to generate. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's almost as if the precautionary principle is in place, but it, the target of the sort of measures to start, sort of try and make moves from a policy and governance perspective to preemptively avoid disastrous effects, that the target of that uh, precaution is no longer public health or has never been public health, but has always been about sort of 
precautionary principles about stabilizing and destabilizing the economy, right? So it's it's more that like I think right now CDC is seeing its role as an agency that's supposed to interpret science in order to make directives about really sort of how to establish this balance between public health and the economy. Because I think the way that we've talked about it, this entire pandemic, from, I think, a global perspective has always been framed as balancing health and the economy. It's never, ever treated, you know, the treatment of public health as the primary directive. And I think if you look at how economists are thinking about this, um, there's a Andrew Husby at, at Bloomberg uh, Economics uh, says that, you know, despite what's happening in the UK, there, there are some uh, trends in the US that, that give him some confidence about uh, what's going to happen over the next year with, with Delta. He says, you know, while, while COVID-19 cases haven't been, have been surging, hospitalizations and deaths haven't, but let, leave aside the idea that, that that's la- those are lagging uh, indicators, but okay, Andrew. Yeah. Um, <laughs> By uh, weeks second, and sometimes months. <laughs> the biggest impact has been in areas of lesser economic importance. Oh, so the metropoles haven't been <laughs> suffering from Delta. It's just those backwaters that don't really contribute much to the economy uh, to begin with. Um, yeah, it's not like Louisiana has any important port city or anything like that. That's not important at all. Um, okay. Um, and then some of the groups most at risk are the least likely to change their behavior. So, I mean, <laughs> essentially, it's it's hard to see how the Biden administration is really going to make a profound policy reversion in the face of... I mean, I'm not saying that Husby is right. I think he's, like, magnificently wrong <laughs> on many of those points. But I have to imagine that the White House sort of economic perspective is that, you know, things are bad, but they do have some ability to manage the pandemic around the margins and the economy uh, around the margins that, like, essentially they're not in a territory where they don't feel that they're in a territory where they're like, it's completely uncertain, terra incognita. Um, They're like, they feel like it's, there's risk, but it's calculable. Um, And they, they know how to, like, tweak the instruments to calculate it. Uh, so, so why not? I mean, why, why change course? Well, I mean, and that's, I think that's why to your point, actually, uh, right now, I think if there, if there is, for example, like confusion about like what is going to happen or about, or, you know, uh, if, if, if I think if you want to take a look at like early indications of what is likely to happen in terms of policies or, or shifts in, uh, Biden administration, um, stances on certain things or whether they'll even, for instance, eventually drop the fucking pandemic of the unvaccinated, um, bullshit, um, <laughs> which now I understand has fully spread outside of, outside of just them. Um, but like, I think that makes the, like the business press actually like a really good place to go and read some fucking tea leaves on this. Cause as much as like the idea is there to separate um, the CDC as this like completely non-political agency as though public health were not an essentially political activity, mm-hmm. um, for, you know, uh, for good and for ill, basically, we can't let the executive branch off the hook here at all, basically, because like, you know, now that they have pretty firmly established that even more so than before and even more, I guess, let's say literally than before, it is now like the sick person's fault because like if they're sick because the vaccine rollout has happened, right? Or the because, because putatively 
um, vaccines are so available, right? And because vaccines were manufactured over the course of the pandemic as the one intervention that the government was okay with, right? right. None of these non other non-pharmaceutical interventions uh, that we've talked about for the f- last fucking year and and more are like things that were even remotely uh, con- like considered, p- and in particular because they would have deleterious <laughs> effects on capital consumer markets, spending. consumer spending right. on, uh, and then on ultimately, you know, like, for, I don't know, like state and national like credit ratings. And so the reason that I say, for instance, like looking to, you know, business press as like tea leaves right now is because you see people very blatantly in things like, you know, what, what Phil is citing, but also, uh, just kind of generally speaking, like, you know, throw a dart at wall street journal, Barron's financial times, whatever, what have you Bloomberg. And you'll see, uh, them going to people and basically asking for economic forecasts. Pretty much everyone across the board is, you know, you'll have some, uh, you'll have some holdouts. I think like the most extreme example of hesitancy that I've seen in like any reporting is, uh, people from like bank of America saying like, you know, we're, we're, we're cautious that like the uh, the the economy could if if the that if the new surge of Delta cases is is really, really bad because we've opened things up, we could have like, quote unquote, harder to fall or further to fall that it could um, make things a lot worse. And it could lead to, you know, more more extreme intervention, uh, basically on a public health level, which would then be bad for markets, et cetera. But pretty much everyone else is saying like, uh, you know, doesn't seem like anything is going to be curtailed right now. Uh, there's maybe some le- there's maybe some reductions in confidence. And I think really what that means, the, the reason I'm saying that is because is because specifically like I think one of the reasons that pretty universally the you know capital managing class basically is pretty confident in this is because every indication uh, economically as well as like from the White House in general is essentially that they don't especially with the like pandemic of the unvaccinated line I think the idea is that like they don't kind of have to I don't think the Biden administration feels like they have to do anything like they have to do they have to maybe kind of watch the situation they have to be seen watching the situation and they have to like maybe be ready to respond with a couple little things here and there but i think for the most part the you know the idea is that like they don't want to be like unpopular by they don't want to become unpopular by doing things that like they see they that as far as they understand would be like one people would be frustrated the idea that like one people would be frustrated by the acknowledgement of the situation that we're in, uh, that like things are not rosy, that things are not, uh, resolved. And two, that basically if there were further like non-pharmaceutical interventions, uh, imposed for example, for example, in addition to, uh, the, like the vaccine rollout, while that may be very substantial towards the goals of public health, it would have probably a, you know, it, it would, not be really beneficial for this uh you know the figures that you cited at the beginning as a joke phil like the the, you know the whatever percent economic growth it would right it would create two problems for them i think one it creates a political instability i think they see that and the second thing is and mark zandy from moody's said said this especially he he said (laughs) um uh, you know, and I, I think in a way this is this. Are you is sure very, you're not reading from a Thomas Pynchon book? No, I mean, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, it does sound like. But I think, um, uh, you know, what he said was is like, well, I mean, Delta could have uh, an impact on the economy. Like the things where it's clearest, like if you're going to see the impact is like people are going to retire. Uh, maybe they take retirement decisions a little bit or 
earlier and maybe not uh, go back to work as early uh, because they don't want their kids to go uh, to in-person schooling. But the like, I think the main thing that that Zandi suggested was that Delta has an impact if people really change their behavior as a result of it spreading. Now, there are many scenarios that you could imagine in which that does not happen. Right. Especially if you think like the, the if especially if you think about people's behavior is influenced by, you know, a, a variety of things, but inclusive of the symbols and cues that they receive from people in high offices of public health or the businesses they go to, which themselves receive cues from public health officials. So it's like there's a there's a sort of conditional chain, but it's also possible to imagine a world in which Delta spreads but its spread occurs in a way that doesn't actually lead people to change their behavior. And thus you could see the spread and not a huge um, economic decline And the government plays mm-hmm. a role in deciding which contingency situation we're in. So I, I think that that's, there's a very gloomy uh, kind of idea here is that, that the Biden administration believes they can get out of the situation, both with the economy intact and with their legitimacy intact without actually making meaningful progress on Delta. That's a very spooky situation. Yeah, And I think it's being framed now in terms of a trust violation, you know, because it, it's like the the argument of blame the sick person for their own death has really actually shifted in recent months. That's one of the things that I think we're observing right now in terms of the broader, larger narrative of the pandemic. Really, what I think when we look back on this period, we're going to remember is the shift of blame from people's pre-existing comorbid conditions, sort of predetermining their death, right? We have the sort of writing off, the eugenic writing off of like the already spoiled or compromised population, right? But right now what we're seeing is a shift into the pandemic of the unvaccinated where people are, again, responsible for their own deaths. But the reasoning has shifted from one that's sort of a, well, we're just letting nature take its course. Who are we to, you know, interrupt her designs of, of life or what's pulled from the future like the uh all the dead had pre-existing conditions etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. exactly so we're seeing that transition to well you know what there was this contract there was a social contract that we were all going to get vaccinated so that this would be over and the people who are dying now are people who have publicly refused their role in that contract. It is their fault because they have violated our trust and we were wrong to trust them in the first place. And I think a lot of these commentators, for example, like that that clip that you played earlier, Artie, when they sort of talk about the Biden administration, what the sense that I get is the sentiment is very much, well, you know, that Biden's a nice guy and it was good on him to trust people to follow through on their end of the social contract. But that was naive of us to trust them in the first place, because fundamentally, the pandemic of the unvaccinated is happening amongst a population that we're being told is not only responsible for shutdowns, economic hardship and the lack of people's social life, you know, which we know is like a big issue to the Emily Austers of the world. But they are also responsible for letting down the social contract that we allegedly all agreed to at some point 
about the vaccine as silver bullet. And I think that's a huge part of this. I just want to um, provide some receipts for this uh, by way of a just uh, just just popping in with a let's call it views from the administration. Uh, so this is a quote from the Washington Post that I'm just curious to get you you both of your responses to. Um, so this is this is citing a unnamed Biden administration official who it says within the report, basically, you know, it like spoke under condition of anonymity because that's always like fucking great. Um, quote, the Biden administration official also disputed the characterization that the administration's concerns about the Delta variants economic impact have intensified, saying that there is no significant effect so far, uh, I guess, of the Delta variant on the uh, on the economy. And if there is one, the effect is likely to be primarily limited to areas with low vaccination rates, unquote. Again, like Louisiana, which as Phil pointed out, it's not like there's a major port in Louisiana. I I think what this really is, is the establishment of messaging of war, which we see used all the time to try and weaponize populations against each other, right? Which is just the idea that, you know, if we do not um, intervene in their personal decisions to let down their end of the social contract by forcing vaccination through mandate, you know, this pandemic will never be over because what the message that the Biden administration is really trying to push here and not just him, but Republican governors as well. The governor of Alabama, she this week was like all over this in a press conference. She's a Republican. Should I play that clip actually? What is it going to take to get people to get shots in arms? I don't know. You tell me. Folks supposed to have common sense. But it's time to start blaming the unvaccinated folks, not the regular folks. It's the unvaccinated folks that are letting us down. But as a leader of the state, don't you think it's your responsibility to try and help get this situation under control? I've done all I know how to do. I can encourage you to do something, but I can't make you take care of yourself. Um, Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's important to think about how does the how does the state make war, right? You have to conscript the population into the narrative of war. And if you just think about all the silly things that that happen where it's like, okay, we're going to do victory gardens or we're going to put yellow ribbons on our tree and everybody's going to get really into this and this is going to be a national project. This is the kind of consent that is attempting to be manufactured here. And I think that's fundamentally an, a huge mistake. Yeah. I mean, uh, if we're just, if we want to talk about vaccinations, like one thing to think about is like the data from the European Union, which suggests that despite the fact that uh, it took a lot longer for EU countries to get access to uh, vaccines, they have, you know, in general surpassed U.S. Uh, vaccination. And, and like one question would be why that is. Is it because uh, the unvaccinated are being blamed as KIV suggests that they should be? <laughs> I don't think so. I, I, there are a variety of things, and it's probably a bit overdetermined, right? So one, uh, w- you know, would just be like, well, the political culture is different. People have more routine interactions with the state, and they're not negative, uh, because I don't know. The state does more things for people that are, uh, I don't know, generally be- seen as beneficial. Like that might be one reason for it. Um, another reason for it might be that uh, European Union countries tended to, in fact actually use the power that they had to do real non-pharmaceutical interventions 
which people did not like. It wasn't like people were like, you know, blithely happy about having to not go out. They, they were right. not happy about it. Right. But there was a very powerful memory of what that meant. So, you know, lo and behold, perhaps I don't think it's unreasonable to suggest that uh, maybe when the state uses its authority to do NPIs, uh, people understand at a more sort of visceral level what it would mean uh, if we don't get the the virus under control. We don't, you know, like like my point, though, is it's not clear to me that just like turning turning this into a situation where we're going to like essentially socially shame people in that in the way that Ivy is suggesting uh, that that doesn't result in like simply a hardening of beliefs among people who don't already uh, have the vaccine because of of course the vaccine unvaccinated population is not homogeneous right Right. when you talk about what the unvaccinated population in Milwaukee like think the adult vaccinated population in Milwaukee County is you know we're like at a 50 50 point um that's that is a very distinctive population with a variety of reasons why people have not uh, been vaccinated. It is not homogeneous and you're not going to, you know, somehow just use so, social shame is not going to be effective, uh, even if it's effective for some people mm-hmm. it is not going to be the thing that gets people over the line to get uh, vaccinated. Right? right. Why? I think the imaginary that exists in this in this sort of uh, moral play that's being played out on the unvaccinated versus vaccinated is every single day like the vaccine man gets in the little vaccine (laughs) truck and like goes through the unvaccinated neighborhoods and has the bell and there's you know every sort of possible incentive for people to um get vaccinated which isn't true um and it's not true that people are receiving lots of messages that from trusted sources that reinforce the importance of doing this thing right so just like immediately turning to blame and shame Mm-hmm. Uh, without with and and imagining that for the past few months, like what we've been doing is everything we can. I don't <laughs> think that's true. I mean, no, it's not like that we've been doing not. nothing, of course. And there have been like lots of messages to tell people to get vaccinated. But I will I will say like government messaging is often like really bad. Um, <laughs> it, it's like really bad. And I I saw this with the the some research I did on the census, but like. You know, the census is something that people interact with like once every 10 years. Um, It's giving sensitive information to the federal government. (laughs) Perhaps unsurprisingly, people, especially populations like on the margins, don't want to give that information. So the idea that like the federal government is just going to come in with or or even state governments are going to come in with a generic kind of like vaccination campaign and, you know, not do some amount of um, real kind of community contact and engagement with these with with populations on on the census and you're going to get like i think if we've learned anything it's that it's a it's many many interactions that are positive with people who are trusted that like get anything done so i i just like this whole idea like that we're going to like blame and shame people into getting the vaccine is it seems to serve a very nice like purpose of like playing out this moral kind of drama but i don't really see how it gets you to the to the any sort of finish line right um which i think is why uh so many of those same uh you know liberal commentators and stuff jump to like we should just do the vaccine mandate which often i think as we'll talk about uh in in a a little bit here in a second 
kind of conflates the idea of a government vaccine mandate on all of the public, basically, and I don't know, individual like employer mandates of vaccination in order to be part of the workforce. But uh, but I, I digress. I think we, we should we should actually we should get to that in a second. But I do just want to we haven't. Uh, I, w- I want to circle back because the move um, that the CDC did this week suggesting that, uh, for instance, like masks should be worn in schools, suggesting that in certain <laughs> weirdly defined uh, in in like, quote unquote, high transmission. I know we, we mentioned this really briefly, but that in like, you know, high transmission uh, areas, whatever that means, again, as though, as though like these lines on the map are these like, you know, impenetrable fortresses actually where yeah, if you cross the county happens. border, you're safe, like in tag. That's you know? right. You know, if you, right, exactly. If you, if you get the coronavirus, just don't, don't worry. If you, if you got COVID, go to the next zip code. Yeah. You're just good. drive anyway. to a safe county and you'll be fine. <laughs> um, you'll be, cl- you'll be, you'll be cured. Right. Which is, which is obviously, you know, part of a broader pattern of, uh, conflating geospatial concerns with, uh, with, health pronouncements which we can get into another time but um i think one one thing that's like really important to to note about this is a lot i think a lot of the immediate reaction to this was like oh the cdc has rolled back uh this suggestion and that like things were going to immediately change on like a national level or whatever and of course that wasn't true but I think it, it's really important to just talk about the sort of the some of the at least mechanics of how this is going to be received, even just briefly, if we can just talk about the mechanics of how this is obviously going to be received at a local level, because already like within a day or something, you had stuff like um, school boards in like Bucks County, Pennsylvania, for example, mm-hmm. got into like a heated fucking yelling match basically over like making sure that the school district didn't readopt mass mandates for the fall and they mm-hmm. ultimately did not you know ultimately so many my point is ultimately so many of these things what's actually being done is again their recommendations but also because as uh you know as i think be calling it pandora's box uh earlier is very apt like um because like like the door has already been walked through because the box is already open and everything um you know it, it is often more difficult to put stuff back but also all of these sites all of these local sites become new sites of uh resistance to this change because especially if the narrative is oh it's just a pandemic of the unvaccinated and really the vaccinated are safe then you have more incentive for especially people who are just based on looking at vaccination demographics uh you know going to be already those who are who were already more protected from uh covid who were vastly people who are uh well off white whatever what have you like people at this like intersection of class and racial identity basically that like you know has has privileged their position during this pandemic the entire time like those people are in a position where that messaging is emboldening them to do stuff like you know fight against these fucking school board changes as i just mentioned or like fight against like the individual in your individual like city municipality state whatever like you know fighting against the re-implementation of any measures which obviously we're already seeing but importantly i think all of this also happens in the context where like since may the local and state apparatuses basically for for processing and understanding and messaging on like how many covid cases were happening in the first place has been um restricted Mm-hmm. in a lot of states. I mean, like, um, Phil, you sent us something uh, uh, to the effect of this, but like Nebraska, for example, like stopped count, stopped like counting and posting, um, 
COVID case information for like two weeks. Yep. Right. Yeah. Right. After the governor, Pete Ricketts, declared an official end to the virus emergency, they just stopped for right. two weeks until, you know, it became clear that they absolutely had to again. Yeah. And a lot of states have moved to not reporting daily figures, but reporting weekly I mean, instead. And Florida well, is reporting their figures at like 5 p.m. on a Friday night <laughs> once a week now. And that's the second largest outbreak in the country. And data is only coming once every six days. Well, and I, I should also say that it's not just the state's decision about how to report the data. It's also the sort of routine uh, characteristic of, of testing. I mean, we we were not doing, I don't think we've ever really done in a serious way, surveillance testing uh, in the United States, which is, I mean, I think plays into this uh, kind of epistemic fight that is going to happen about um, vaccinated people and their ability to transmit infection and this this whole question of antibody and, and, and T-cell islands in people's noses uh, and, and exactly how much that means that vaccinated people can transmit infection. I mean, that would be noble, maybe, if we had done surveillance testing, but we haven't, right? We have not used the power of the state to do these things that would make it easier to resolve some of these questions. And so right. this is exactly um, the sort of thing that you see. So I guess my the point, though, is like I'm happy that if, if they're going to make me go and work in person that uh, that we have a vaccine mandate at work. I, I personally, I think that that is good. I don't think that that solves the problem. <laughs> Frankly, like, no, it doesn't solve time. the problem that like so many different parts of the, the, the state apparatus have a very strong thumb on the scale in terms of wanting this pandemic to uh, disappear, you know, visually uh, and cognitively. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like when you think about a vaccine, a f- federal call for a vaccine mandate, even I mean, like the state of New Hampshire has passed a law that says like we there will be no uh, mandates of the COVID-19 vaccine in the state of New Hampshire. They, they've like they have preempted a lot of action that like local governments and employers can do uh, on this. So like I like there is this is an idea lot. This is part of like has become part of a, a, a broader sort of like ideological war. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the question is, like, what do you do in the face of that? Right. It's right. it's and there's a quality to some of the debate. And like, of course, anybody who comments on anything and isn't really responsible for it is guilty of this to some extent, including me. <laughs> um, but there's a quality to the debate. I think that is just like a bit um, like willfully inattentive to some of the like what, what this actually plays out like okay the federal government can say we're gonna do this thing but in the state of new hampshire they can just say no right like that's a thing that you know we we're actually gonna prohibit people from like mandating uh vaccines like there's a question about what you do in this context that is not going to be resolved by having this like red state versus blue state trump versus everyone else war about who the morally virtuous people are because number one that doesn't even necessarily describe the whole of the unvaccinated population like even if that's the only thing you're going to focus on that particularly not the children (laughs) right yes right i mean i think it's uh or people who don't you know for, for a variety of other reasons don't have regular contact with a places they might even get a vaccine i mm-hmm. mean it's just i think there's a way of reading the situation which just brings brings into perspective like your your prior beliefs about what the the major like 
ailments of the U.S. polity are. You know, the the sort of like uh, Travis Bickle, like this is why the country's going down the drain. Like your view of that is going to shape how you think we get out of this particular situation. So if if you're like an inveterate MSNBC watcher and you're like, yeah, well, it's just the, the Trumpers that like that's the reason like the country is like going down the drain. It's you know that is you somehow your solution is going to be well mandate them to do it and then what do you say like well they're going to resist the mandate oh what 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 is the next what is the next thing that follows from that (laughs) (laughs) i mean for people who who profess to love behavioralist policy it seems that many actually understand very little about human behavior dynamics right because it's like in the creation of this war mentality of it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated you're also empowering the other side to defend themselves like yes you're calling for a reaction you're calling for a resistance or to, to identify declar- with right. the yeah, right. To, right. Yeah. yeah people it's- who are on the sidelines or on the margins who are like persuadable you have the right. possibility of like or who winning just them over to a much hardened side yes or who just like happen to not be vaccinated or can't you know or whatever like and not out of any like particular ideological reason you're then pointing to them and saying like you're an ideological you know whatever <sighs> more importantly i think to answer your question too phil like since you said uh since you said like you know and then what do you what do you do after that right i think one of the i think one of the suggestions basically is that you you highly encourage uh employer mandates right so you basically do this like I, you know and i i don't i don't mean like that that's a good idea. I just mean that I think that that seems to be like what is uh, what is, you know, out there in the ether right now uh, as part of this like overall social uh, reproductive apparatus. Uh, we'll 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 do these big drives. We'll like push the big employers to like make sure that they're, you know, doing they're doing that to, to borrow the term from uh, from our, our clip, our clip that we played earlier that uh the big employers are like following the honor code or whatever <laughs> by ha- by having um vaccine mandates um which will then you know compel people if they want to p- continue to participate in various forms of economic activity including having a job and shelter and stuff like that and all the attendant things that come with it health insurance in this country um that like if you want to continue having that that you do then have to you know go ahead and like get the vaccine even if part of the problem is that you haven't been able to take off work for it or whatever. Um, and to that, I would just say like, okay, so then the result is what you want to put the hands of like the vaccination (laughs) debate in in everyone in the hands of everyone's fucking boss. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's going to help. That's going to be great. Let me just put it this way. I don't know if you've been on Yelp recently, but if you go around, like go look up like your local pizza place or something, there are like you will find a bunch of sh- shit that's like this place. It turns out like uh, the owner is a huge anti-vaxxer and teases his employees over like talking about being worried about COVID at all and like encourages them to like not get the vaccine and like spreads you know what you know what i mean like there's like and that's that's like stuff that clearly is just happening in front of uh, in front of these businesses like clientele this shit is all over the place so it's like you know i don't know like i don't think i guess my, my point is like even the even like the entire premise of this debate is like ridiculous because the whole i mean in 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 the first place this whole like vaccine mandate debate still premises the entire idea that basically the vaccines is the the, the basically the vaccine is the only fucking thing we can do yeah but you we're through the mean? looking glass but we're through the looking glass now on that right i mean I, i'm serious that like it's 
you know, I, I agree. I think that it's obvious to me that we need to be doing other things beyond the vaccine. But um, if you if you leave that constraint in place that apparently the federal government is not going to like if this is the only tool that we're going to have, then there is sort of an implicit kind of baseline um, just that you, that we, that we <laughs> I think are just being told that we have to accept in terms of deaths. And that's, you know, if the vaccine is the only tool that we have. Um, and if we're also going to like, you know, just unwind all of the pandemic specific policies. I mean, I think the real question, I, I think the real question is like, at what point does the Biden administration say there's no more emergency? <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's the really fascinating thing. They're saying that they, for example, with the eviction moratorium, they're saying they can't renew it. Yeah. They're saying they need legislation to do it. How is that not already an implicit idea that there is no more emergency? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I have yet to understand how that legal formulation comes about. Like it's, I, you know, in, in an age of the Imperial executive branch, you would think at the very least that like, you know, we don't need legislation to do this because this is a public health emergency. That was how the justification happened in the first place. Yeah. So why, you know, so, so it's increasingly apparent to me that the, like the the policy project here is like politically managing the fallout from these different little crises that emerge, but overall implicitly pushing towards the end of the emergency as a matter of policy and law kind yeah. of over and over again. I mean, I think that that's uh, otherwise I think you'd see different policies, not just on vaccination. Maybe you would see a greater mobilization of uh, f- like federal agencies around vaccination uh, and and a more coordinated strategy with civil society groups on that, you would also see a very different tack on something like the eviction moratorium, but you're not mm-hmm. right. And the question is why? And it, you can't just, I don't think you can just duck it to incompetence. Uh, I, I think that that is that like that misses some of the point here. Um, I think you have to see it as exactly what are the motivations um of the administration and, and like, you know, if, 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 if you really had it in, you know, your mind that like one of the things that Biden won the presidency on, like the build back better message was like going to be a completely <laughs> different tack on how to think about public health and a return some in some way, some form to the precautionary principle. You are just, you have, I'm very sorry for you. Uh, that is, that is a very, very, uh, gentle and uh, naive understanding of how American politics works. <sighs> that's, I mean, it's such a, it's, I think that's such an important question to keep in mind, Phil. Especially in the context of what you said, for example, of like, oh, well, you know, it, it appears that in terms of a lot of the different NPIs that we could do, non pharmaceutical interventions that we could do on COVID, that are the things that could have a profound impact. The idea generally that we're on, uh, that we're like, you know, through the looking glass, as you say, on a bunch of them is obviously unfortunate but if you're kind of i think one important thing if you are for example trying to like leverage demands on this administration or something like that is to consider that like those things that you just mentioned for example uh like all of the all of these different sort of like you know pandemic um benefits programs or things like uh eviction moratorium that are just either that either have already stopped recently or that are about to expire not only is it the case that obviously those things should continue in this in the context of uh what is happening i mean i think that's like pretty evident because especially like you want to (laughs) 
If, if for example, we know that uh, these interventions that have uh, happened have had a profound effect, not only on as, for example, like even like the New York Times has been reporting on, have had a profound effect in at least reducing uh, poverty among some in the in the United States. They also, you know, these programs and and these these implementations have at the very least provided some people the ability to at the least blunt or reduce their overall like chances for exposure as precipitated explicitly by the activities that they are like forced to do economically to, in order to survive, right? So in like in the context of all of that, like literally the <laughs> the the like argument against extending them i mentioned just a second ago that new york times article for example that's like about how these pandemic programs unemployment insurance and and all of these different things like you know did reduce poverty literally the argument for ending them now is let me just quote uh robert rector of the heritage foundation Quote, there's no doubt this is again just just uh, a big just, welfare just reform boy printed approvingly in the New York Times. Quote, there's no doubt that by shoveling trillions of dollars to the poor, you can reduce poverty. Ugh. But that's not efficient and it's not good for the poor because it produces social marginalization, mm. as in welfare queen Fuck stigma. You. you want policies that encourage work and marriage not Fuck you. undermine it. Um, going on to say God. that poverty rates had already reached new lows before the pandemic under policies meant to discourage welfare and promote work. So there you have it. Frankly, Telling on themselves whole ass. I mean, you know, if like <laughs> there's no daylight between if you want these, if you like, you can't like you, you can't take a nuanced fucking position on this. If you want these things to expire, then like you're basically you are aligning yourselves with these people who are basically like this guy is saying like, yeah, work requirements for Medicaid. That was good. That's why that's why, you know, welfare. Uh, that's that's why, quote unquote, poverty is lower, et cetera. Fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah. The I mean, so it's I think to like come back to this question of vaccines, it's First of all, the the federal government is not going to like use its authority to mandate. It can't use its authority to like mandate anything on a on a national level. Um, but it's like the fact that it's not like encouraging states to do things or like not even doing things it could do, which is like do something like mandate paid time off right. uh, or like do behavioral interventions like uh, telling the people who are providing vaccines not to ask for people's ID. Uh, or their insurance status with th- with things that do turn people away from the like the counter at the pharmacy uh, <laughs> or like do like an outreach, a really robust outreach thing. Like there's so many things the federal government actually does have in its authority to do that it is not doing. And so like getting trapped into this debate about like uh, that this sort of like fictitious <laughs> like vaccine mandate uh, is you know, I, I think absurd because, you know, of course, the federal government could like take a much stronger approach and make vaccines much easier for people to get and or even encourage like state and local governments to use their authority to uh, to do uh, mandates. But what it's doing now, kicking it to employers and then taking away other things that provide protection against the spread of the disease, like the eviction moratorium mm-hmm. uh, and, and like just allowing these things to like go out is i mean i do think i do think emblematic of a 
a kind of co- policy coherence um, that you see uh, with parts of the last administration as well, which is like, we really don't yeah. like this crisis. This crisis mm-hmm. is very bad politically. We would like to do, and we've talked about this many, many times of just like, what would it be like to completely shift who people thought was responsible for the crisis. I mean, this is something we've talked about from the beginning because like, it's so much more advantageous for, uh, for the state, for capital. If people don't blame the governing institutions for the crisis, but instead blame one another so mm-hmm. much easier yeah. to manage through a legitimacy crisis. If, if what really is happening is people just not looking up, but looking across and, and this is this is exactly like, so what you're doing is you're per, is just you're perpetuating this uh, situation of conflict. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and I think the point that you made, Phil, about the sort of impossibility, act, the actual impossibility of the real policy question of a vaccine mandate is so important because I think what that debate to me really is meant to signal in the sort of broader like public understanding is that you know what we're seeing is a shift to policies of vaccine policing you know that 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 shift of npis as meaning you know eviction moratorium or mandated pain le- paid leave or unemployment insurance right. etc you know that right now is what an npi means in the political imaginary and in the public understanding of 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 what pandemic policies are supposed to do and where the state is supposed to intervene. But with the the question of policing vaccine uptake sucking up all of the air right now, I think you really have this signaling and this opportunity to renegotiate the meaning and the understanding of what a policy directed NPI is, right? NPRs are clearly being signaled as something that individuals must do themselves as individuals to protect themselves. Right. But it's also being right. Not one another. It's a very individualized understanding of it. But then the other sort of renegotiation is that from a policy perspective, what an NPI is, is policies, you know, regulating pharmaceutical intervention. So the non-pharmaceutical intervention is the fact that the policy architecture, you know, regulates the pharmaceutical intervention. And I think in tying this up also with the framework, because as you're saying, Phil, it is obviously the sort of political impossibility for Biden to actually sort of mandate a universal vaccine uptake at a federal level from the current configuration of how power works. I think by framing it as something that, you know, should be happening through the employer level, obviously that plays into like the American understanding of work. But I think and the sort of celebration of work culture that we have. But I think also at the same time, and I don't mean to get like too metastructural here, but I think what it also does is by having the idea that the mandate comes from the employer to the employee, you set up this class relationship of who the unvaccinated are, right? Which it's that the owning class, the management class, the corporate class, they are the ones who are mandating the vaccines. They are the good guys in this war of the unvaccinated. And the people requiring the policing and requiring the mandating are the employees, are the working class. And you're sort of setting up this understanding through arguments for vaccine mandates 
that really what you're doing is saying, who are the unvaccinated? Well, not your boss, never your boss, never the ruling class, never the owning class. It's them, you know, and, and that's an incredibly, incredibly bad vibe that I think we are we are quickly rattling towards. But here's here's the thing. I think that like I'm I'm not in like a a situation of of hopelessness. Like I recognize very very clearly there are these there are structural thumbs on the scale that that are yielding the policy outcomes that we're seeing that like that you can't really trace to like the personal like foibles of any one person in office. There are things about the way the capitalist state works that lead that help to yield these these outcomes. But I don't think that that means that we have to like tolerate like, like that uh, a certain amount of death is like just structurally baked in because obviously it isn't because right. obviously mm-hmm. many ca- capitalist economies have very different outcomes on the virus. Um, mm-hmm. And so like the idea that there's uh that we we start you know putting into place these things that uh or you know just sim- simply sort of like can't be done or just are the, these sort of pure imaginaries is actually counter uh counterproductive to some extent so like there are many things the Biden administration could do to make it much easier and attractive for people to get vaccines there are things that they could do uh, on NPIs that actually make take a much clearer view of the evidence um, and take a much clearer stance on the precautionary principle. And like the public health profession has an influence on what they do. The American Academy of Pediatrics had an influence on the CDC and what they were recommending for masking for children in schools. Like there, like it is, there is, there are openings, there are fractures that can be um, entered into. Uh, so I don't think it's a situation of of hopelessness, right? But also recognize that it's at no point are are people just going to uh, like with within the state like just wise up. They're just going to realize like ah, there's this level of death, and we just simply can't tolerate <laughs> it. That's not, not how it yeah. works. Like th- like there is there has to be a a more clarified like set of demands, and I think that that's been that's like been an issue for people. It's like okay, well, at some point you just you know things sort of go back to normal and you stop seeing the reality of what these policy outcomes look like. And the, and of, and of course I think there's a, there was a thing that happened with sort of broadly speaking, like liberal nonprofit organizations and the Biden administration, like when they came in, you know, um, the, their politics changed. I mean, there was a piece by Alex Salmon in, in the American prospect, I think um, last week about just how much like, the Biden administration has been able to like court some of these groups and like convince them to take their foot off the pedal um, on, on a lot of things. And I think that like that, it has to be recognized for like what it is. Um, And to realize that like, you're not, there is no safe zone um, here Uh, that what, you know, things will not uh, get better of their own uh, accord. Um, Yeah. And, uh, and I think that that's, you know, constitutively speaking, People are tired and uh, they have have there. there's like might be limited bandwidth for those things. But I think that uh, expecting things to just change sort of miraculously is is kind of a an invitation to just more despair in the future. Mm-hmm. It's serenity now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. And I think that's actually kind of the perfect place to leave it for today. So patrons. 
We will catch you on Monday in the bonus episode feed. If you want to support the show and get access to all of those, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. And um, as always, Medicare for all now. Solidarity forever. Stay alive another week. All right. Cool. Bye. here at pragmatic progressives we uh we pick up the small paving stones because we know that someone can reveal the beach later there's always the beach later (laughs) i don't know yeah i have Um, this uh this quote from the board chair larry cohen who says quote we're not getting medicare for all but we can get major pieces of it fuck off we've got to fight with every one of the democrats no republicans are going to vote for any of these things underneath the paving stones the beach but the beach is scary in their shots you know um, what i want pieces of change god small fractured shards of gestures toward improvement that is the change i want to see in the world and i'm going to make that real pieces of change. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say is that the new Jewel album.